0: Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au. predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semi finals, all thanks to McDonald's. backers together and loving it. TNC's apply.
1: Welcome to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives.
0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show, made possible by our friends at Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Well, today we're joined by a man who played 209 AFL games at three clubs in a career full of ups and downs. Brenton Sanderson was twice traded without warning before finding his feet at Geelong and winning a best and fairest. Of course, he went on to become a senior coach at Adelaide, where his sacking was seen by many as the most brutal in Crows' history. Sanderson has worked at the AFL at multiple clubs as an assistant coach. He's about to take the coaching reins at grassroots level, and become a director of sport at a big Melbourne school. Sando, welcome. G'day, Sam. Life's about to get very busy for you, it seems.
2: Yeah, next year will be busy for me. I, I actually did enjoy this year, though, my, my first year out of coaching, um, and I had 30 years at the top at the top elite level, obviously AFL, which I loved. Um, half of them were as a player, obviously, like you mentioned, at Geelong and, and Adelaide and Collingwood. And then I had a 15-year coaching career, and this was my first year out, so... Take a breath. Yeah, it was good. I really enjoyed it. Obviously, I, I, I called some games. I did some special comments, a bit of uh, analysis, I guess, work. Um, and a massive hit on Trade Radio. I'll throw that <laughs> Trade in. Trade well. Radio was great fun. <laughs> it was great fun. But um, I, I really enjoyed footy this year. And I'm not saying I didn't enjoy it before, I loved it. But yeah, just to take, I guess, a bit of a. A back seat and just watch the games as a fan, and it was a great season. Obviously, you know, with with the Cats having a fantastic win in the grand final, but we were spoiled. We yeah, were spoiled. I, it was it was a, it was a really good season. But yeah, there's some 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 new challenges for me. I'm I'm going to get back into coaching where the Baldwin Tigers the Tigers, which is a very strong community club, they play in the Eastern Footy League, which is very strong, and uh, I'm looking forward to. I mean, it'll still be a lot of pressure, but I'm looking forward to just coaching a group of young men who are passionate about having success, but with a with not the blowtorch turned up like it can be at, at AFL level, and and also too, yeah, I, I get the I get the chance to try. A completely different career path, which is which is running uh, running sport at Mentone Grammar, Mentor which is, Grammar, yeah. which is a really good school uh, down not far from me, Bayside, and it just keeps growing and growing. It's uh, at the moment bit, I think about seventeen fifty students, um, and the, but they'll be pushing sort of over two thousand students in the next couple of seasons. Oh, the next couple of seasons, I'm still talking yeah. AFL <laughs> talk. In the next few years, it'll be um, yeah, I guess one of the one of the biggest schools down there.
0: How's the recruiting going at the Tigers? Pretty good, yeah. pretty good. Happy,
2: a, it, yeah, we have Building a, we're building a nice squad. We've 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 already got a good squad, and um, they've been really competitive for a long time, Bowen. And they have been a bit of a powerhouse in that league for a long time. And but they haven't won a premiership for a few years, so it's um yeah, it's all systems go. We're mm. going to start. Well, we, we we start pre season, and then we obviously um which won't be like an AFL pre season. It'll be a couple of nights a week. We'll get together and have a kick and a catch and a bit of a run around, and then um
0: and then yeah, we'll have a crack next year. Yeah. Now at Mentone grammar, of course, it's exciting because you'll be working with you know kids who are just you know people and and boys and girls who are just Starting their journey in life, which was you once upon a time. Where, where was yep. home? Where was home as a kid?
2: I grew up in the Adelaide Hills in a, or oh, I started in a place called Coromandel Valley. Um, all, all my junior footy was at a was at a strong community club called Blackwood. That's when my dad played. Um, so I, I, you know, I loved watching my dad play. I, was, I still remember some of my fondest memories, and and part of the reason I'm getting back into community footy because um, I've got young kids now is some of my fondest memories as a young child was was playing in the under eights in the morning and then, you know, I spent the whole day at the footy club. So we'd sort of kick off at eight o'clock in the morning. And if he got the canteen
0: award, it was a good day.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. Well then what, what I did then is I pretty much ran the boundary the whole day for, yeah. you know, for the, for the under 10s and the under 12s or whatever. And then the reserves would play. And then my dad would play at about two you know, 30 in the afternoon. And I'd, I'd love to either run the boundary or if you were really lucky, you got the scoreboard. That was the, that was the prime gig. Heaven was to be able to change the scoreboard. But um, yeah, like most young men, I idolised my dad and his footy career, and that was my dream, to play for Blackwood. How good. Um, you played a, a Super Rules game with your old man once, didn't you? Yeah, I did, actually. We, we, we played one game of footy together, uh, my dad and I. They they were short in the Super Rules one day. Um, well, how I'd, old were you? Well, either. no, I would have been like, I don't know, 12 years old or something. You didn't exactly qualify. No, I wasn't over 35, <laughs> but they just stuck me in the forward pocket, and they said, they said, you know, just sort of stay out of the way, and just got to make up the numbers. But my dad did his knee. My dad was playing in the on the wing, and he did his ACL, but I think I think I kicked like four or five goals too, so I sort of sport the party a little bit for those <laughs> old boys
0: running around. I mean, a fun. Uh, for at least that would have uh, eased the pain for the old man over the dinner table that night. Yeah, and probably needing a knee, Rico. But hey, young fellow. Well, you know it. what?
2: And they, uh, we're we're exactly our, our DNA is the same. My dad never had his knee fixed. He never went in and had ACL surgery, and I'm the same. I um. When I was coaching Adelaide, I played in a um, in a cricket game, like a celebrity cricket game. Even I'm not a celebrity, but I and I dislocated my kneecap and partially tore my ACL in this cricket game. And then I was it was you know two or three weeks before the AFL season, so I couldn't go in and have surgery and like run up and down the stairs at the MCG with a my, my, my knee in a brace. So I just never got it fixed, and to this day I'm I've still got this sort of tear in
0: my ACL that I've never had repaired. So many a weekend watching Sturt as well, and idolise. Speaking of idolising, you idolise Peter Motley.
2: Yeah, Sturt Sturt was my team in the SA That was where I was. I I was zoned to Sturt, so that was where um, that's where Blackwoods was zoned to. So then I, I went and did all the sort of junior development programs with Sturt Footy Club, and they had a really strong um, team at the time. And Peter Motley was the guy that I that I really did want to be yeah, when I when I was um, when I was sort of coming through the the grades. He was a fantastic player for Sturt, and then obviously then he got he got um, drafted or got picked up by Carlton. And it was that year that Stephen Kernahan, Craig yeah, Bradley, yeah. Peter Motley, and Mark Naily they went in one season from those four SANFL. Clubs Clubs, they went over to, to Carlton and then I think every South Australian pretty much their default team was Carlton. Yeah. This is before obviously the Crows and Port Adelaide came in. So um, so yeah, then I, I sort of started to follow Carlton but um, I, I, I did love Sturt. I played I think 55 games for Sturt in the SANFL and I enjoyed my time there. We weren't very strong when I played. I think we only won about
0: half a dozen games but yeah, I really enjoyed my time with Sturt. You mentioned the Crows coming in when they did. I think you were 16 and you were one of the 10 South Australians pre-listed to the Crows as part of their draft concessions. That inaugural Group some big names in that inaugural group: Hart, Roschudo. Well, unknowns really at that stage. Picked on potential, but would go on to have that has turned out to be a pretty illustrious group.
2: Yeah, well, that was part of the thing when the Crows uh, first came in. Part of their concessions, rather right, than you know, when it was like a startup team, they could pick ten South Australians who hadn't played AFL before prior to the draft. So this is before pick one. They could just pick whoever they wanted mm. from. Um, from South Australia, pretty much any age, I think. Like I was sort of 16 or 17, and all those boys, like you said, Rashudo and 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 Hart, a guy called Peter Turner was a was a good young player. Randall Bone who ended up playing for Hawthorne as well. Um, Sean Wren who ended up playing, you know, fantastic player. So not with me, but they sort of hit the jackpot with a few of those, like Ben Hart and Mark yeah. Rashudo going and play 300 AFL games, which is incredible. And um, I sort of bounced around a little bit, as you said, before I. I sort of couldn't find my feet till I ended up at the Cats.
0: Yeah, but that was your dream too at the time. I mean, you get to stay at home, you drafted to the Crows, so I imagine it's hard not to think this is where I'll be forever. And yet... Two seasons, six games later, you you traded without warning. How did the trade come about? This is where the Brett Chalmers names comes into it. Of course, the father of Olympic swimmer Kyle, who many listeners will know. How did it come to be that you were traded? Well, I didn't know anything about it. I was still very young, and I sort of got caught
2: up in it a little bit. Like, um, and even to this day, South Australian footballers in the AFL are, you know, they're they're big names over in that town you know and i got caught up in all that and um all of a sudden i'm a school kid um and then i'm in on an afl list and everyone recognizes you and people asking you for autographs and all that sort of thing and i school I would have been insane and i just left i just left so oh. i'm spewing i was really disappointed <laughs> i um i didn't get a chance to strut around school yeah, but um I but yeah so I, I i left school and then i got selected in that squad and they started that sort of pre-season block and i sort of missed out on all you know, going go to school as an AFL player, but, but yeah, I, I just got this random phone call. I, I, I played six games in two years. I had four games in my first year and two games in my second. I was playing as a sort of a small forward or mobile half forward. I kicked a few goals here and there, but um I just got this random phone call from Graham Corns, the coach. And he said, can I come up to your house? And I was still living at home with my, with my dad and, um and up, and up he came, and he said, "Oh, we're trading you to Collingwood." And I was like, "What?" You know, I, mean, I was in shock. You know, I was only nineteen, and I had to pack my bags and move across um, to Melbourne. But what, what what had happened was Brett Chalmers. It was back in the days when even though players got drafted, they quite often wouldn't go. So mm. um, you know, there's there's a lot of which he of... he
0: didn't initially to Richmond, I think. Yeah,
2: and stayed. Yeah, and then he got drafted. to Same coin. with I think the I think one of the Jarmans. I think Andrew Jarman got drafted to Brisbane, maybe, and didn't go. And wanted mm. to stay and play in the SANFL because I mean, the SNFL was still a really strong competition competition. They would get 20,000 to each game and it was really good footy. So a lot of South Australians, um, actually Scott Scott Burns was the other one. He was drafted by Collingwood, but chose to stay back an extra year and play for Norwood in the SANFL. So it was quite common back then, but uh, the Crows saw an opportunity to, to keep I think Brett Chalmers wanted to stay in Adelaide, and they saw an opportunity for, for for a trade to occur where I'd get sent to Collingwood, and and then he would
0: he would um, he would
2: he would play for the Adelaide Crows.
0: Did you know how to do your own washing? Had you been to Melbourne at that point? Were well, you pretty no, wet behind the ears? I was,
2: I was terrible. Yeah, and I, I was really lucky. It was. Um, those sort of sliding door moments, but I'd, I'd played against um, I'd played against Bucks that year in the SANFL. He was he had a fantastic year. The Port Adelaide Magpies in the SANFL had won the premiership. He'd won um, the McGarry Medal uh, as as the best player in the competition, like sort of like the SANFL's equivalent of the Brownlow. So we were sort of a um, we used to play against each other. We sort of knew of each other a little bit, but I happened to bump into him in South Australia in in, in Adelaide after the trade had gone through. He was coming down from Brisbane, so he had the one year at Brisbane, mm. and um, yeah. It was sort of um, we sort of said you know we're going to end up playing at Collingwood together and then we decided to to share a house together and we um yeah we just lived together and sort of made it up as we went really and you know washing and cleaning and cooking and all that sort of stuff we we just we just gave it our very
0: best shot. It was a pivotal point in your career though wasn't it in terms of getting a, an up close and personal look at what professionalism looks like with him. I mean and you've spoken about this at length but is there an anecdote or two that stands out? Maybe the first thing you saw yep. Nathan do thought holy crap. Whatever we were prescribed
2: to do for sort of training, that for him was considered the minimum. So um, I mean, quite quite often we would go to pre-season training and they, they, these were super hard training sessions, you know, yeah. for, for young men, we'd do a lot of running, a lot of conditioning, a lot of skill work, and we would be absolutely exhausted when we came home. But then quite often we'd have dinner and then Bucks would, would get me and would say, hey, come, we're going down to the local oval. So we'd go down where we lived and we'd, you know, do another hour of training. I would never consider doing that. Obviously I didn't do that at Adelaide, but so now we had this this, this guy, my roommate, who was just pushing me to mm-hmm. sort of the next level a little bit with, with his outlook on how to get better and how to be the best. And history will show he's, he's arguably one of the best players of that generation, you know, the a Brownlow medal winner and, you know, one of, one, of, one of Collingwood's greatest all-time players. But yeah, he, he really did push me. But like, everything was competitive. Everything was competitive. <laughs> we played backyard cricket. That would be to the point we'd be arguing about, you know, dismissals and if you're out, run out and all that sort of stuff. But uh, we, we just spent and like, like golf and tennis. Like we just – everything was – we did was a competition we used mm. to um which i, I know, it's 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 very bad but we we sometimes would race home from training you know like you got you got your two cars <laughs> yeah yeah You jump in the car park together and you say all right first one home you know uh, doesn't have to do the dishes the dishes tonight or whatever and we'd it's be relentless. speeding down the eastern <laughs> freeway and so bad um so um anyway we did a lot of a lot of things that weren't yeah, that obviously went above board, but that just probably highlights the competitive nature. So that that was a great opportunity for me to see what it what it takes to become a, like the best professional athlete.
0: You're listening to This Is Your Journey. It's thanks to Tobin Brothers, a family-owned business since 1934. So like at Adelaide, Brenton Sanderson had barely had time to settle at Collingwood before there was another tap on the shoulder. That's up next. Hello, it's great to have you company. On this is your journey. It's made possible by Tobin Brothers Funeral, celebrating lives. We're chatting to former AFL player and coach Brenton Sanderson. So, Sando, the, the hammy at Collingwood just wouldn't behave itself in that season. You were there. I mean, you could only get out there the four times in the senior side, anyway.
2: Yeah, I tore my ham. I taught the same hamstring three times. Which, um, and I played, I think, four games for Collingwood, and they were okay. I mean, I didn't. I was play- once again, I was playing as a high, as a high half forward, mm. you know, centre half forward type, and I just couldn't quite establish myself in the team. And every time I played one or two games then I'd do my hamstring again and I spent you know most of the of that of that year in the in the VFL but I played a couple of really good games in the VFL coincidentally against Geelong and the coach of Geelong was Gary Ayres in the in the um, VFL mm. or the reserves and then the next year was when Malcolm Blight left Geelong and Gary Ayres' first year 95 was his first year as senior coach at Geelong. So then another trade occurred that's when uh, Collingwood decided to trade me to Geelong. So obviously Ayres he had seen something he liked in me. I was playing across half back when in the in the VFL for Collingwood,
0: Stephen Wells would have been around then too. Probably. Stephen
2: Wells, yeah, and it's funny because when, even when Geelong won the premiership this year, the first person I sent a message to was Stephen Wells because he was instrumental in my in in my career and obviously getting me to Geelong, and um, he he really did uh, look out for me, I guess, early in my career there at, at at Geelong, and
0: you know he's still there doing an amazing job. So like at Adelaide, where where Cornsey rings you up this time, Gabby Allen rings you up. Yep. So you need to come in and have a meeting with myself and and uh, and Lee Matthews. So what what was said in the meeting? Well,
2: not much, um, Lee. Matthews didn't say anything, um, he just sort of, he just stood there and stared at me. <laughs> As he does. he does, yeah, and that's that's fine, that's who Lee is. And I, I, I obviously get on with Lee really well to this day, but he, he didn't say much. Gubby, Gubby sat there and a little bit like that movie Moneyball, you know, where they just say to a baseball player, we're trading you. I reckon it was two sentences, it was um, um, we think you're injury prone, you know, the hamstring, so we're going to trade you to Geelong. That was
0: the end of the conversation. Well, we, we and you, we laugh about it, make a lot of it now because things worked out for the best, but at the time, were you devastated? Yeah, I was. Yeah, I mean, this was my—I
2: was going to my third club before my 21st birthday. So, yeah, my my AFL dream—the you know—the the journey we all dream about as kids—was in tatters. Really, I was completely. Well, I was I was really nervous about. You know, I'm I'm lucky to get my third chance, but you know what, what's going on? Like hardly hardly anyone gets yeah. traded twice before they're 21. So well, there's only
0: so many of those that you're going to live before. Yeah, but I knew this
2: was my last chance. Yeah. So um, so I moved to Geelong straight away. And um, I started training, training straight away. Tried to make a, a mm. you know, really good first impression, I guess, with um, with with the guys down there. And I was walking into a really good side. They'd just come off um, a grand final loss to the West Coast Eagles at the end of '94. Malcolm Blight had left. Yeah, obviously Gary Ayres was sort of starting up, but with a with a red hot group. Well, we were talking about you know guys like Buddha Hocking and yep. Paul Couch and Gary Ablett Senior. Like this was a star studded uh, team. So I was I was nervous, but also too really
0: excited. So you get 13 games under your belt in '95. So promising. for... First season at the Cattery, but you just hadn't quite cemented yourself again yet, had you? And you, you played off the bench in that big. It was a, a mauling in the Prelim Final win over Richmond at Waverley Park. So, did you have an understanding then that you're on thin ice? Obviously, because when you're on the bench yeah. in those days, you're on the bench. Yeah, that's right. When this was back in '95,
2: when. Um you know, a couple of players on the bench, and we, there was no interchange really. I mean, there was, but mm. you had to be playing really bad to get taken off the field. So I was sitting on the bench the whole first half, and then about halfway through the third quarter, I came on. I think um, had a you know seven or eight touches. I think a couple of handballs, a couple of kicks, did a few nice things. But um, but yeah, they were very nervous. We had a huge win. Like I think we beat Richmond by about eighty eight points yep. at, at Waverley. So fingers crossed, maybe go in unchanged to the grand final, and um, we were, we we're playing uh, playing Carlton in ninety five. But yeah, unfortunately got the phone call on Thursday night which said. Your drop for the grand final four four years of AFL three clubs and a drop grand final so thing, things weren't going that great for me Sam unfortunately
0: yeah but it was a slow death too though wasn't it because there were a couple of injury or at least one main injury concern and you were kept waiting basically with I guess the the glimmer of hope that you could play even right up until the warm up on pretty yeah. much grand final day
2: yeah so what happened was Grant Grant Tanner who was coming back from an ankle injury he he came in for me so he he was playing a variety of roles half forward wing I was sort of playing defence but I, I I was an emergency and Kenny. Hinkley had a back injury which they tested at the ground before the game so uh, I was told to pack my bags prepare like you're playing go into the rooms and then I had to watch Ken do his that's hard. He's sort of pre-game warm-up type thing, and he, he he was ticked. He was ticked off to play. So then, unfortunately, you get you get your bag and you go back up to the up to the um, stands. And I obviously sat there and, and watched the game. And tough and, watch too. Unfortunately, it? yeah, it was a really dominant performance by Carlton. That was a good side as well. Unfortunately, handed Geelong their 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 fourth grand final loss in six years. So it was um it was a tough day, really emotional day for me. And once again at at the crossroads, dropped for a grand final. <laughs> three clubs in four years or five years and what to do now.
0: Your resilience pays off though and your persistence too. So from 96 onwards, you're a regular. In fact, you're captain of the side in the absence of, of Stephen King. But I, I wanted to skip forward to the 2004 season. I think it might have been the qualifying final that year against Port Adelaide at at, at Football Park as it was then. Their first quarter, you've you've got a feeling you've never experienced before. And it's a, it's a scary one.
2: Honestly, I thought I was having a heart attack or a stroke on the field, which we've seen has been quite common recently. A lot of players have had some heart concerns. Out on the field and um, some pretty scary moments, but yeah, I, just my heart was was really beating out of control. Obviously, you push yourself really hard, but I, I just felt like this is this something's not right, and I grabbed the doctor at quarter time and um, I said something's wrong with my heart. Like I'm I feel like I'm having a heart attack. So he gave me a quick assessment. Obviously, you only get you know four or five minutes at quarter time, and and he so, sort of gave me the quick a quick look over and tested my heart rate. And he said, I, th- I think you're fine. So I went back out and started to play again. And then once again, yeah, my heart had all these concerns. So I, I sort of took myself off and and then it was discovered I had this, um, I was diagnosed later to have that uh, condition, atrial fibrillation, which is very common. Like a um, regular heartbeat? Sort of. A regular heartbeat, yeah, yeah. So when, when I whenever I exercised and I got to like the extreme levels, my heart would just couldn't handle it. And it, would, it would just beat out of rhythm and out of control, yeah. So it's, it's quite common. Like a lot of people live with it and you don't know you've got it. But you sort of pick it up when you're exercising to a really extreme level, and yeah, it was really scary. Like i you know, we um obviously playing in the AFL finals campaign, but uh, yeah, obviously anything with your heart, I pulled the pin that obviously then, and um you didn't play in that year, did you? No, nah, that year that was it. I, I jumped on a bunch of medications, and yeah, I took it really easy for you know three three or four months. So I took this horrible um, medication called warfarin, which is some of the ingredients that's in ratsack It's what? horrible stuff. Yeah, it's really, <laughs> yeah, it's like a blood thinner. Like it um doesn't uh, sound pleasant. It's just prevents you getting any clots and stuff in your in, in in your blood it was horrible and my my skin changed color i smelt really weird it was oh it was horrible stuff so that was that was bad memories of 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 that time, and obviously very scary.
0: So aside from eating ratsack sack and, and looking <laughs> yeah. and smelling horrendous, so it, how did it affect your career? I mean, because you would have had to put steps in place to ensure that didn't repeat. Did that stop you from being the top end athlete that you were? And did it yeah. looking back now? Do you think it ended the ended the journey earlier than it should have? Oh, not really. No, I mean, I was
2: I just hit thirty, I think, or maybe thirty one, and I knew my time was sort of coming to an end right. anyway. But I, I wanted to obviously didn't want to end on that note. So I I played the two thousand and five season, my last. And I played without any medication, and although I had to take beta blockers, which um, what they are is um, like a medication you take, which gives your heart rate a ceiling. So as soon as your heart rate gets to a certain level, the the medication sort of prevents you getting up to those extreme levels with your heart rate. But that was it was horrible to play with because you couldn't extend yourself as much as what you wanted. So, so did
0: that? That's what I mean, though. Did that? Inhibit you from from playing the game at the level that you previously had? Yeah,
2: I I, I didn't have a great season in 2005, and it probably um, signalled that it was time to pull the pin for me. So, towards the end of the year, I notified the club that, you know, uh, as much as I love the game, it would. It would be my last season, so um, so yeah, we um, we win
0: the finals that year, and and yeah, well, I, um, well, that now that Nick Davis SCG final, uh, that was the equivalent of eating rats. Egg. That wasn't, <laughs> yeah. that was a sour taste. Yeah, well, the bitter I'll, taste.
2: That's that's the only drawback when you announce your retirement before your last, before what you know is going to be your last game, and then you have that game, and you know, for the listeners, that was the one where um, Geelong were leading by. Three goals going into three-quarter time in a low-scoring game in a final at the SCG, elimination. And Nick Davis kicks... So Sydney needed to kick four goals in the last quarter to win, and Nick Davis kicks four himself. That was heartbreaking. Pretty pretty much the only scores in the last quarter. And Sydney led that game for 13 seconds, which was the final... 13 seconds of the game and the ball goes back to the middle after his final goal in the last quarter and they bounce the ball and the siren goes and my career's over so um, it was uh, it was a pretty tough finish uh, and that was the that was obviously the Cinderella story for the Swans they, mm-hmm. they went on and won the premiership after that game so you know that's the beauty of our sport is, is one person's um, dream gets shattered and another person's dream you know they get to they get to live everything they've desired for so um, but yeah I was so grateful like 209 games I couldn't I couldn't thank um, you know the industry enough for, for, for the memories that I've got and I know we've probably focused on all the negative stuff but yeah I absolutely loved it I know the, f- the start was hard but I had, a, I had a, a really good patch in there and I really enjoyed my time at, at all three clubs yeah there.
0: but that best and fairest season at Geelong I mean it, it was fulfilment in a way because it, it showed and perhaps validated everything that you hoped you could be that you, you could do it at the top level and you could yep. do it as, as well as anyone so yeah. got,
2: your cut must be full in that sense yeah that right, that's, that's right I, I had some good seasons still and there was um, I think that 2001 season was the one I won The best and fairest. I finish in the top three, four times. So I I end up being quite consistent and sort of played my role, which which every coach wants is the players just execute your role and hopefully the team wins and I was involved in some really good teams played with some great players you know I played with all the ablets you know my time at Collingwood you know with guys like like Gavin Brown and Damien Monkhurst and Tony Have Shaw Krasiska, and, yep, yeah, Shury, yep. and, and Bucks obviously and and at, at Adelaide you know guys like Tony McGuinness and Modra and you know it was I was so grateful for for my football playing journey it was absolutely brilliant
0: Gee, some big names there isn't there and the move to the back flank would would end up being the the jolt yep. that your career needed and you yeah. made it you made it your own. Yeah, well, it's obviously common. You see a lot of forwards who don't make it go
2: on <laughs> and become yeah. really good defenders. So um, yeah, that's I, I guess what a lot of clubs will do now is they'll try players in different positions until they find their their spot. So I was I was I was lucky that Gary Ayres saw me as a as a as a player that could play across half back, not not half forward.
0: You're with this is your journey. It's brought to you by Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You can visit them online, TobinBrothers.com.au. So Sandos hung up the boots, but the coach's whistle is calling. Life in the coach's box is after this. Hello, we hope you're enjoying this week's edition of This Is Your Journey. Today's guest is Geelong Best and Fairest winner and former Crows coach Brenton Sanderson. So, Sando, coaching off the back of the playing career, was it always an interest for you? I know the finance, I think the corporate world was calling at the time. Obviously, coaching won the day. Was it always something that you you suspected you wanted to do?
2: Um, Not really, no. And because of the start of my footy career where I was always getting traded and... I was sort of always preparing for life after footy and I got my commerce degree, I got my pilot's license while I was still playing. So I had some options when I pulled the pin on playing and I don't know, I just I just had the opportunity to, to get into coaching and I thought, you know, why not? Like, I love the industry, I love the sport. I still feel like I can have an influence as a coach so i gave it a shot and um had had one year as a development coach at port adelaide choco under choco which was great i had a really good a really good time there i was back in adelaide around my family and friends but it was it was geelong where my heart was geelong was always where my heart was obviously that playing career having 11 seasons there and there was an opportunity to go back geelong and had that big review after 2006 Mm -hmm. they sort of felt they underachieved mark thompson survived the sort of coaching review and I came in as a first year assistant coach so Mark Thompson's a senior coach Ken Hinckley and Brendan McCartney are assistants and then I come in as a as a as a backs coach which was an awesome year 07 was oh. just one to remember
0: well that pre-season that you arrive has got will forever be part of club history it was a, a pivotal point in that club's career you know the soul searching and then to come out the other end and 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 with the drought-breaking premiership,
2: yeah, and obviously that that draft too, the 2007 draft or 2006 draft, which was uh, Joel Selwood. Yep. So a young Joel Selwood steps into the program, and um, the Cats go from not making the finals to having a a, a record-winning season, really, which um, which culminated in the in the huge grand final win. But it was it was a significant time for Geelong. They we had the talent, we had the young talent, and we had the perfect blend of experience. But Geelong just didn't know how to win when it really gets down to it. How does Geelong going to win you know and everything the formula just came together and there were some really difficult conversations there were some challenging moments where players would challenge each other but the whole program went to another level The boys got strong and fit and uh, we changed the game plan you know history will show it was after the 5 06 seasons which were really defensive you know West Coast and Sydney were winning mm. those grand finals by a point but they were really low scoring Andrew Dimitro famously says mm. the game's ugly and then Mark Thompson brings in this all out high octane offence where um, we just were coming out of the middle of the ground. We were taking the game on. We were playing fast, high in change, high speed on the game. And um, all those young boys just screw together, and yeah. we had a fantastic season.
0: So that was the euphoric high, if you like. Um, you know, in the in the coach's box. And then 2008 shows you how horrifying the game can be in the coach's box and the haunting nature of that. And then there's the 2009 redemption. St Kilda, perhaps the best team, but Geelong make up for the year prior. Maybe it was destiny all along that toe poke play. And yet, with all of that, the ups and downs, and you're seeing it up close, you still decide you want to be a Senior coach. <laughs> it's quite amazing. Mark Thompson left Geelong and
2: I was in the process. I was it was down with it was Ken Hinckley, Chris Scott and myself. And Chris Scott got the job and yep. famously probably the right decision. He's done an incredible <laughs> job. You know, yeah. two 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 premierships now and he's he's been coaching there for, for eleven or twelve seasons now, which is which is brilliant. But um uh, I, I stayed there in 2011, another premiership, and then, yeah, I got the opportunity to coach Adelaide, which was great.
0: So, what is it? You mentioned the dizzying highs, of, oh, I mean, soul-destroying lows. Is it the intoxicating nature of? I, I mean, you know, it's not going to end on your terms, and yet you still go in. It's the optimism, and I guess that, that you guys have. What is it that ultimately makes you take the plunge and take the job at Adelaide?
2: Well, for me, it was a couple of things. It was really, I'd, I'd love to go back to my hometown. And like I said, I, I grew up as a young boy in the Adelaide Hills, so coach coached the Adelaide Crows. Would would be an absolute dream, particularly to hold a premiership cup up. And I saw the opportunity with that young group too. There was some mm. great young players coming through, guys like Bernie Vince, Rory Sloane, Paddy Dangerfield, Taylor Walker, um, Kurt Tippett. So there was there was a great young squad there emerging. They'd they'd missed the finals for a few years. Uh, Neil Craig, who's a great coach, I really admire Neil Craig. But yeah, like he he'd been there at a time when it was probably the right time for him to move on and try other things as well. But so yeah, it was a sort of perfect storm for me. And and my first year was great. We, oh, start the, well. Yeah, we um we went from seven wins to 17 wins you're five points off a grand
0: final so you have yep. Hawthorn I think you're in front with two and a half minutes to go at the MCG yeah in prelim. we're in front with a couple
2: of minutes to go and and unfortunately get beaten and even like Taylor Walker kicks a goal which puts us five points down with about 38 seconds to go or something like that but yeah heartbreaking way for those for that group and, you know looking back probably we weren't ready Hawthorne were a great side they lost the grand final mm. the next week that was a great prelim final um Hawthorne were red hot favorites too so we were the underdogs we had nothing to lose we had a great season we we finished equal top um, everyone thought Hawthorne were just going to steamroll so i was i was really proud of the boys that night and heartbreaking to lose a prelim final by less than a goal when you know that you you know the grand finals Yep. Less, than, less than a kick away. But, um, yeah, sort of all, all unraveled from there from there on, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, well, I, I guess the question I'm sure you've been asked countless times, in fact, you've probably asked yourself countless times, is what happened between seasons that may have stopped you from matching and, and surpassing that, that year? So the Kurt Tippett saga clearly didn't help. Your best forward suddenly requests a trade. The club then subsequently to that is fine and stripped of its first two draft picks, given the player was obviously offered money outside the cap. And, and then Te- Taylor Walker ends up doing his knee early the next season as well. Um, So you've lost suddenly your two... Best forwards Tippett and Tex, and then one of your right-hand men, in Dean Bailey, gets suspended. Of course, from the yep. Melbourne team. So oh, you're a second-year coach. I think you're still in your 30s at this point. The yep. world's caving in. It must have been an enormously challenging time for you because everything yeah. was going wrong.
2: Yeah, and there's no handbook or textbook that you just go to and look up. You know, chapter four. What yeah. happens when when your best two forwards get taken out? Uh, what happens when your know, senior assistant gets suspended by the AFL? So yeah, we had we had a lot of drama at the club. And you know, look, looking back, I I've learned so many things from my time there. And one of them was I tried. To just do it all myself. I tried to just... I didn't delegate. I didn't, you know, hand people responsibilities and help, you know, ask for help. I just tried to make everyone, you know, we we tried to stay positive and obviously we lost... You know, Taylor Walker was a 60 goals per season forward. Kurt Tippett was a 50 goals per season forward. So we lose 110 goals yep. out of our forward line, unfortunately. So yeah, that was we were sort of playing catch up a little bit that season. We only just missed the finals. We still won 10 games. Yeah, we just missed the finals by a couple of games, I think, or maybe a one game. But um, yeah, we still won 10 games. We we had a had a had a good young side, as I said. We st- we tried to remain positive, but now looking back on reflection, I I didn't handle it that well. I was probably wasn't as good a coach as what I could have been, and as you said, I was I think I was 39 years old. And probably still quite wet behind the ears when, it, when you're looking at um, coaching experience so you say
0: all that though and yet you got a contract extension in that year well I guess it was the the, the the management at the time
2: had great belief in what I in in my plan and my strategic plan and where I thought the club could go but then yeah things got even worse I guess the the next year the CEO left he was probably one of my biggest supporters um, unfortunately Dean Bailey passed away which was just heartbreaking and still to this day I, I think about Dean a lot it was just tragic what happened with him with the, with was he losing his fight with cancer which was really short so then are yeah, we the next season which ended up being my final season was just yeah because obviously dean De- dean passed right at the start of the season so we went into the year without mm-hmm. his presence and a lot of trauma i guess at the start of the season for for me but also the group yeah we um once again i think we we won 10 or 11 games, but um, yeah, we just couldn't quite get back to where those sort of high standards that we'd that we'd set back in 2012. Yeah,
0: well, you lost your first three, but you dug in. So you finished 11 and 11, certainly no disaster. In fact, you belted St Kilda in the last game by 10, 11, 12 goals. And then you sacked and you sacked with yep. two years to run on your contract. So it shocked the footy world enormously. We talked about the shock of being traded without warning. I mean, that would pale into significance with what happened here, I would have.
2: Yeah, it was a, it was a really um, weird, strange time because I, not that you, feel like you're you're comfortable in your role but yeah because you because i had a three-year contract I, i had that year which was really tough and then the search was for a new senior assistant for so Someone with some great football experience, really good footy brain, to come and be my sort of right-hand man to sort of help sort of shoulder the load a little bit in but, the absence of Dean.
0: And Mark Rusciuto was running – so he'd just come in, had he not? Rue just came in as the new footy director, so a bit of change in management. Yep. So the CEO
2: had left. They were looking for a new CEO. they changed around a few people on the board. Um, and one of the key appointments was was Rue came in as, um, as the director of footy. So he was searching for – you know more football staff someone that could sort of coaches that could complement the program phil walsh had never wanted to be a senior coach but in the industry was valued as as one of the great footy minds and obviously rue interviewed him about coming to work for us with us but ultimately um, the decision was made that he would come in and be the new senior coach even though i had two years to go on my contract i was i was let go so it was it was a it was a big shock and it's something that i just obviously didn't see coming but um but had to cop it on the chin and move on and that's i guess that's the thing i was thinking about it i was still thinking about it a lot, unfortunately. But I was thinking the other day, when when, when that happens, I think I think when, when Rutten lost his job and then Ratten, you, you just think like those those men, those coaches, you don't get a chance to sort of get in front of the group again and say, all right, boys, um, thanks for your time. It's been mm. great working with you. you. You sort of just grab your stuff out of your office and you go. Like it's it's really cold. I had the conversation with the chairman, uh, Rob Chapman, who was really good. He said, you know, um, unfortunately, this is what's happened
0: and we're going to let you go. So so you said you had to take it on the chin, but, but did you? I mean, human instinct would so you'd, you'd rebel against it or you'd have something to say? Or were you just stunned no, well, into salt?
2: No, yeah, the next – well, obviously then a, a media release goes out and then the next day I come back in and do a press conference. So then – um, the media get to ask I think there's a statement from the club and then I, I get asked a bunch of questions but and you know the, the best advice you get is to have a handle yourself well and say you know I well, thank the club and I'm looking forward for my next opportunity but yeah, you can't go in there with a loaded shotgun and start firing bullets
0: at everyone not, not as much as you want to feel that but not in your long term best interest but then again not every coach takes up that opportunity to do a press conference either. No,
2: nah, so. that's right that's right yeah but I, I feel good that I did it I, apart from one or two I, I probably get on pretty well with most with most of the, of the media in Adelaide and there was, there, was some, there was some interstate media there as well and you just you say goodbye to those people, you know. It's been fun working with you. You do two press conferences a week, post-game and a pre-game and, um, you know, you form some good sort of friendships and relationships there. And, and then I just went in and pretty much oh, I went home and then you just the the realization hits, you know. And I had had one child then. I've got three now. But uh, you just I locked myself in my house for pretty much a week. <laughs> didn't talk to anyone. Didn't answer my phone. A lot of people came to try and support me, which I said, "No, nah, I'm fine. Don't worry about it. Just leave me alone." Probably the wrong thing to do as well. And then I lived with that sort of embarrassment and shame and guilt, obviously for for a long time. Really, now, probably even now, I still say to my wife, when I fly into Adelaide, when I, when you land into Adelaide, which is my hometown, but when I when I get out of the airport there, I still feel a bit of a little bit of anxiety. I don't know what it is. It's an uncomfortable feeling. I just—it's probably because it's—it's it's past trauma. It's a moment in my life which I don't want to relive again. I've probably buried so deep. Whenever I'm in Adelaide, and like I said, it's my hometown. All my family still live there. I, I just feel that little bit of anxiety, that little bit of unease when I'm when I'm back home.
0: But the toll that it takes and the price you guys pay. I mean, do you did you speak to anyone about it? Did you? Did you look to do that or you no nah, you... I regret I regret not doing that Sam to be honest and I um I
2: now I, I sort of dabble in that space but I do a little mm. bit of consulting and um I speak to a lot of you know athletes coaches businessmen and women who have been through similar things in the, on the on similar moments on their journey. Because I've lived it, I know what they're going through. So I can be sympathetic and, and show empathy and potentially work a bit of a process to help get out of it. So and that's and that that has been going really well. Because yeah. I, mean, I mean we've all been through moments of disappointment. And unfortunately with coaching it's very public. I know a lot of the listeners would have been through times in their lives when they um, just feel like there's just nowhere to go and nowhere to turn sure. and no one to talk to and there's an embarrassment and shame of asking for help. And it's instinct to probably shut yourself off as well. And men wear the worst. Men wear the worst. If someone says hey you're going. The fir- your first response is, "Yeah, I'm going good. Yeah, I'm good. Thanks." Where in actual fact, you want to
0: say, "Actually, I'm struggling, and I'd love to talk to someone, but I haven't got the courage to do it." Yeah, we're getting better in that area, though, aren't we? But I, it's interesting because I think the price you guys pay, and girls, and anyone coaching in that yeah. public forum, is um, takes an enormous toll. Yeah, well, there's,
2: there's actually a really good book called "The Courage to Be Disliked." I think it's called because that's what coaching is. And you think oh, I'm going to love it, I'm going to be all these people are going to. I'm going to teach them how to play footy well, and we're going to win a premiership and all that. But it's mostly your athletes who don't who don't like you because you're giving him feedback number one and you have to if, if, if you want to get better but quite often you're leaving him out of a side or you're dropping him for a grand final or you're trading him so yeah it's an industry it's a it's a profession coaching is a profession where you quite often not like
0: by a lot of people we're talking to brenton sanderson on this is your journey it's thanks to tobin brothers funerals celebrating lives i'll be back with sando right after this It's been great to have your company here on This Is Your Journey. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. 200-plus game AFL player, senior coach Brenton Sanderson has been our guest today. Sando, 2002, Bali. Sorry, club. Not long before the bomb went off, you were there. Now, we speak about sliding doors moments. On the field and in the coach's box, this would... um it would make that look absolutely minuscule. The events of 2002, when of course so many Australians lost their lives, and and you were fortunate to have flown out the night before, but you still had friendly, plenty of friends on the ground yeah. over there in Bali. Yeah,
2: that was really scary, Sam. So um, so 2002, we're on an end of season footy trip. October, we're in Bali with a, with obviously the with most of the Geelong group, and the night before there was about 30 of us, 35 of us potentially sitting out in the front area of the Sari Club, and the next night is when um, the two vans drove through the front gates and obviously stacked full of explosives, explosives and, and up and at up when And um, um, unfortunately,
0: so many lives were lost. You're in the air, though, aren't you, when it happens, I think?
2: So yeah, you land. I, I was flying back, yes. Yeah, so I, I, I jumped on a flight that night, and then I think when I was in the air was when when it happened so I landed my phone I wouldn't say my phone on when I landed it was was like a red eye so I landed in the morning and um yeah my phone had all these messages so you can imagine the people that were trying to call me that knew the bombs had gone off in Bali and they hadn't been able to reach me there was a lot of panic yeah so it was I was so lucky and the Geelong boys were so lucky too for whatever reason they chose to stay back at the hotel that night and um obviously the bombs the bombs went off at a a number of different venues and a lot of those Geelong boys ran to help um the survivors to help at the at, at, at the scene and a lot of the boys understandably um, you know stayed at the hotel I, you know didn't know what to do so mm. scary moment for me and you know I, I once again I didn't handle that that well either um I don't know what it was what what that emotion is but I f- the fact that we were there the night before and then and right where yeah. the bombs went off yeah it was it was 24 hours luckily that um, we made the
0: decision to go earlier you, you can't sort of it'd be hard to describe what that does to a person you know the what ifs and you could easily have been there you, you took off again straight away to New York didn't you Yeah it was it was one of those
2: things I um it was mayhem back here in Australia and I um I didn't really know what to do or how to handle it I was still a young player and um so I decided just to just to go I just got out of there I went I booked a flight to New York on my own and off I went uh, Impromptu Yeah yeah went and had a couple of weeks in New York I, I actually come back because I, I love the horse racing I, I, I came back to watch um the races at Caulfield and then um on the Sunday or the Monday I took off again to to New York just
0: had a bit of time there on my own which was good I guess I guess it's a, a, it's a life is short moment, isn't it? I mean, you resolve, I think, to live life to the fullest from there. It's a, a, a reminder, a sharp reminder. And you famously you famously wrote a list, which I know has been talked of a little bit, but yep. geez, you ticked a few things off on them. The 10 things you wanted to do before you died. The pilot's <laughs> yeah. license, which you touched on earlier. Now you wanted to fly a jumbo, didn't you? Yeah.
2: I did an article with uh, Dwayne Russell and we were talking about I read it about, about the Bali bombings. It was just, and I think a lot of people that have had moments like that have had a, and you know, I think it's famously Confucius says a man has two lives and his second life starts when he realizes he's only got one. Yeah, right. Um, and that was exactly that moment for me where, where I knew could have gone either way, obviously 24 hours earlier. So I thought, right, I'm just going to give this life everything I've got, you know, and I, I, Obviously, I was playing footy, but I thought, and I loved aviation. I thought, I'm going to get my pilot's license. I said, right, I'm going to I'm going to be the best player I can be. I want to win a premiership, which I'd never never done. I love, um, what else was on the list? I wanted to go to the World Cup finals. I wanted to go to on a West Indies cricket tour and, and watch the boys play in the Caribbean. I thought yep. that would be awesome. But yeah, I and I went to finish my commerce degree, so I finished off that. So I had, had these things that I, I just wanted to make sure that I wasn't going to spend my whole life telling people, this is what I want to do. I just went and tried to do them as as, as many as I as many as I could. I went to mm. the I went to the went, went to the World Cup in 06, Saw Australia play Brazil in Munich, and saw yeah, awesome. the Ivory Coast play the Netherlands in Stuttgart. I think it was. So I had a, a great experience there, and I, I guess it's part of my motto my motto a little bit today too. You know, I'm not that I'm the fun guy or anything, but I'm, I I um I try to look for opportunities to experience things rather than yeah that you know sit at home and wait I'm, I'd, I'd rather go out and do.
0: So with that in mind and as the backdrop any Baldwin Tigers players listening <laughs> this morning are they in for a hellish pre-season? Here, no Center? no they're not
2: we're definitely going to get fitter and stronger but yeah I'm looking forward to, um, once again I, the thing I love about coaching is working with young players who just want to get better and, and obviously get the best out of themselves and we're going to have some fun and yeah we're not playing for sheep stations obviously in the Eastern Footy League but yeah we're, we're definitely in it to win it next year.
0: And best of luck with Mentone Grammar that's no, awesome. I can't
2: wait for that yeah it's going to be awesome.
0: That's an exciting appointment. Thanks a lot for joining us today, Sand. I mean, resilience is certainly a word that comes to mind when going over your journey. I mean, you needed it as a player. You certainly needed it as a coach. You've got a resume to be so proud of. Love your insights on the game now on our side of the fence. Well, well, there's uh, no doubt we're lucky to have you while we got you. So, well done on everything you've achieved and thanks again for joining us. Thanks, Sammy. All the best. Thank you for joining us also. You've been listening to This Is Your Journey for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Jump online to find tobinbrothers.com.au and we'll catch you the next time we celebrate